Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Scott H. Scott is a 28-year-old, third-year medical student, second lieutenant in the United States Army, and follower of Jesus Christ. Additionally, Scott serves as the man behind the curtain for this podcast, editing and adjusting the recordings in post-production. During this heady conversation, we discuss a rational belief in faith, his service-based approach to selecting his church communities, and why you shouldn't bury gold. Before we talk more about Scott, I want to talk about my long-form Sundays posts. These are my weekly reflections on life, medical school, and uh, everything in between. So, uh, this past, or so about two weeks ago, I posted on Holes of the Heart, or Ode to a Garbage Cat. This week, I mourned the loss of a new old friend. May his garbage be piled high, his bathtub's always wet, and his meows always droning. I love you, Frank. Then, the following week, this most recent Sunday, I posted on family reunions or transitions to fall. Uh, this week, I quickly reflected on a quick to, on a trip to New York City. I wrote this post on my phone, and boy, does it show! Anyway, you can go read all those podcast. You can read all those long forms in their full length, or you can listen to them on the uh, on the on the podcast feed. Um, or you can go to the website and look up all of the interviews, whatever you want to do. However you want to consume this, this content uh, is up to you. Anyway, more back to Scott. Scott is a sinner saved by the grace of God alone and a follower of Jesus. Before Scott dies, he wants to share the gift of the gospel to all who will hear it. When Scott dies, he wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And after Scott dies, he wants others to not feel bad. So this was a really cool interview. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Scott edits the podcast for us. And uh, it's a really, he, he does a great job. He, there have been a couple of times where uh, I give him a recording and I'm like, dude, good luck. And he manages to clean it up very well. And he does it uh, out of the, the goodness of his, his lovely heart. Uh, he's very interested in sound design. He's, he's a musician as well. We don't really get into that in the podcast. Uh, we we do uh, kind of like through through the, his uh, his um, this, his uh, decision to play in uh, bands at churches, and uh, it's uh, this is a really great conversation. He he is uh, has like such a knowledge of the Christian faith and of Scripture, and it's uh, he has such a, a rational approach to things. It's really interesting. So. Uh, there, there are, there are like kind of two ways you can, I, I would like to recommend interviews that kind of go along with this, this one. Um, there are interviews that sort of have that, that incredibly rational approach to, uh, the, the responses and, and the, their underlying philosophies. And then there are those who, who share Scott's, uh, like style, I guess, um, like his, his faith in, in the way that they are, um, very true followers of Jesus and they, in their true and they're, they're very, uh, faithful Christians. And so let's talk first about that, uh, that first group, the, uh, the, the very rational folks. So, uh, uh, you can, if you listen to, uh, uh, Manny Singh's, uh, interview, uh, that was posted on August 6th, 2017. Um, additionally, you can find Ali Musa Jaffer's, uh, interview that was posted on March 3rd, 2016. And these are two fellows that also have that very rational approach. They're very uh, Ali. Uh, Ali is uh, Ali Musa. He is a, a Muslim, and he has uh, like almost the same like depth of of like like academic, uh, really rational knowledge of 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 his of his their their respective uh, their 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 tomes their 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 books of worship, and uh, Manny um, he has the, like sort of like a a. Um, neo-humanist uh trans transhuman uh philosophy that's that's very interesting and they all, all three of them are they're kind of like in that brain camp they're like super uh thinking like really in the brain and uh on uh in on the second path the uh the the, the fellow christians that kind of share his faith and uh they they i think all of them maybe all of them uh 
have uh, attended Aletheia with him in um, in Tampa, Florida, where we went to school and did our first two years of uh, medical school. And so the first one that I want to mention is Jarrell Mayer. Mayer? Mayer. I, I messed it up when, he, when I interviewed him, too. Jarrell Mayer. And that's he, that was posted on uh, April 7th, 2016. And uh, there's also Meg Scott. That one was posted on February 16th, 2017. And AJ Thurston posted on March 31st, 2017. Those are really great podcasts to check out if, uh, if what Scott says resonates with you. It's a really, really good time. So anyway, I'm not going to talk anymore. I've probably been talking for a while. I hope that you are rip-roaring and ready to go to listen to Scott uh, talk about death through the four prompts. Um, I hope you got your water ready, and uh, I messed up that outro. So here is Scott's responses on death. It is September 26th, 2017, and I'm sitting here in McCungie in in Scott's apartment, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Yeah. So Thanks Scott, for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. What are the four prompts? So the four prompts are, I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? Um, it probably, the best way I can answer that is to identify with where I am in terms of my relationship with God, since that's, mm-hmm. that relationship defines every other aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. So if I take on a couple of these notes here, Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God alone. And everything else is secondary to that. And so what, so, so there are two parts of that, that there's the part that you're a sinner Mm -hmm. and then there's the part of grace that saves you. Yeah. Um, So let's talk, let's talk about, let's talk, which one do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about, yeah, well, let's just go in order. Let's go in order. So what does it mean to be a sinner? So, um, being a sinner, if, if we look at a biblical definition of it and we can, we can talk about the validity of the authority of what the Bible says later, but Mm -hmm. just for the the sake of this worldview, um, the Bible says that sin is lawlessness. I believe that's in first John somewhere like that. Really? But the idea is that, you know, God has his standards, his way of saying, this is how a person should live. This is how my character is, and this is how I created you as men and women to be. Mm-hmm. And to act and act or think or say anything that's in any way contradictory to that of um, disregarding what his characteristics are, that mm-hmm. is sin. Mm-hmm. So, and so sin well, how, is kind of a deviation, a lawlessness from the way things should be. So then, if that's the definition of a sin or a sinner, uh, then how are you a sinner? So anything that I do that is not in accordance with the way God wants me to live, that's that's a sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a very in a very concise way, we can look at we can look at the Ten Commandments, things like do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Now, these are all pretty egregious things. And I'd say most of us could say, Oh, I didn't, haven't really done any of these things. Mm -hmm. But if we, if we look at some of the words that Jesus spoke and saying how these things are really meant to be interpreted, and it's not just so much the outward actions of things, but the inner motives and desires of our hearts. So I think it's in Matthew five or six, somewhere in his sermon on the Mount, he, he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, and he's saying, it's written in your law, do not, do not murder. Mm-hmm. But if you so much as hate your brother or your sister in your heart, you have essentially committed murder. So it's sort of taking that outward action and bringing it back to all the way, all the way to the motive that even if you so much as hate somebody, you're guilty of it. Mm-hmm. Or another example, he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But if you even look at somebody with lust in your heart, you might as well have committed adultery with that person. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like when we, look, when we look at God's law in Scripture, the way that Jesus was interpreting it, then it's, he's setting the bar so high that nobody is perfect. Mm-hmm. And another passage that this is brought up in Scripture is in uh, Romans chapter 3. So Romans is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote sort of like as a letter to the church in Rome. 
Mm-hmm. Hence, we call it Romans. I did not know that. And um, what, what he's talking about in the third chapter of this book is how pretty much everybody on earth is guilty of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's verse 23 that he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can read the first two, two chapters and then in chapter three up to that point. And it's, it's basically just going through of saying, here's all the ways that nobody meets that mark. <laughs> like we've, we've all, we all know what's right in our hearts, what we should do. Mm-hmm. But we can all think back to some time that we did not obey that conscience. Um, Romans chapter 1 describes it as like God's law is imprinted on our hearts, but we have chosen not to obey that. Mm. And so, uh, and when, as you describe this, I'm, I'm, I get this, uh, like, this like, like kind of counter like, feeling of like, well, that seems really harsh. Like, that's like a yeah, pretty, pretty strong bar to uh, raise and then say you have to meet this. But then I think that leads us to the next point of, of being saved by God's grace. Is that yes. correct? And it's, it's sort of the idea of if you're not guilty of something, why would you need a savior? Mm-hmm. So... It's one of those things that we can't understand the message of salvation as Christians believe it if we don't already understand our grave need of a Savior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So being saved by God's grace alone, it's... So let me take it one step further of being a sinner. So not only am I a sinner, but there's also nothing that I can do to make myself not a sinner. I can't try harder to not sin. Because once once you're guilty, you're guilty of something. It's sort of like you can if you were if you broke the law, you can say, okay, well, I'm not going to break it again. But you've already broken the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, sort of like that idea, like you can't solve a problem at the level at which it was created. You need to go a little like a, like a meta step higher. Right. It's it's kind of like if everybody was stuck in a pit and there's no way to get out of it. It's like you. You can't just try harder to get out of this pit. If it's a hundred feet high and it's a glass wall, you're you're not getting out. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. somebody from outside to rescue you. Mm-hmm. And in that case, the only one that's did not break this law, the only one that is perfect, is somebody that is God, mm-hmm. and that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody that who is God, but put aside all all deity, all authority of being God to take on flesh, to become human, live this life as a person with all the same struggles and temptations and difficulties that we have here, Mm -hmm. just going through everyday life and not screwing up, (laughs) Mm -hmm. being perfect. And then ultimately taking on the, the price of what our sins, what the punishment of our sins would be which, again, Scripture would say is the punishment for sin is death, which, again, sounds really, really harsh. <laughs> it's kind of like, not only is this law something that we can't keep, but it's also something with a very grave punishment. It's death and separation from God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now if we put that on the converse of what if we had somebody who didn't break that law, but yet took that punishment? It's, it's sort of like somebody... It's kind of like, let's say you owed a lot of money for medical school mm-hmm. and so much money that you couldn't ever pay it back. But somebody who had the money then came in and said, Eugene, I got this. I'm covering you because I have the money and I can give it to you on your behalf to pay this debt. Mm-hmm. You go debt free, even though the money wasn't yours. So it's that's kind of like a, it's a very basic um, understanding of the Christian idea of salvation from sin. I see. And so let's, and like, so I think it's uh, very, very obvious that you are a, you're well read and like, I would say scholarly in your, in your study of Christian, of the Christian mm-hmm. faith and your faith. Um, I, I want to understand a little bit more about like the Scott, like the Scott story of his faith. Like, how okay. did you, how, how did your, I mean, imagine that it was, this is something that has uh, been uh, with you for a long time, uh, but it also, your, your faith has gone through various like uh, trials and, and challenges and, and uh, different phases. Like, what, tell me sure. a little bit about it. So I think in summary, like if I were to describe it in one sentence, I 
cannot rationally understand the way the world works in any other worldview but Christianity. Christianity makes the most sense to my logical brain. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds kind of weird because the stereotypical Christian is somebody who's very fanatical, very emotional, and if you try to get into an argument, they'll just sort of throw scripture at you and you say, well, what if I don't think that's the authority by which I live my life? I mean, suppose a non-Christian or an atheist around there and say, well, I don't believe the, what the Bible says. I don't think it's 100% true. So what do you say to that? And then other Christians would just sort of throw their hands up and be like, well, you have to believe that. Mm-hmm. But um, there was an article that I read some time ago, which actually you want to you know more about how like my, my life story, how that's been a part of it. So we'll start there. But there is an article that I do want to sort of briefly summarize in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a family, um, fortunately, that my immediate family were all Christians as well. Uh, my parents, my mom and my dad were both Christians, and we, my brother and I went to church all through growing up. Um, I'd say I came to an understanding of what it means to be a Christian and making the decision to be a Christian myself when I was, I was probably about eight years old at the time. Um, I remember being in church one day and the person in the Sunday school class was teaching pretty much the same things that we had just talked about, about salvation and about our need for it, about how how everybody is guilty, everybody is a sinner, but God has provided a way to pay for that sin. And it kind of struck me of, that includes me. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not perfect, and I know I need a Savior. So whatever this Christianity thing is, I want to be on board with it. <laughs> and so. did you uh like what um what like branch or like flavor of Christianity were you raised under and uh what do you would would like what would you say you practice now? Good question. Um so I was raised in a church that would be non-denominational, which mm-hmm. among Christian circles we just joke that that's just Baptist with a cool name. <laughs> but um okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was non-denominational in that we didn't have any affiliation with any sort of larger denominational branch, be mm. that Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, anything like that. But which meant that the church itself was free to um, interpret Scripture the way that we believed was right. Mm-hmm. And as a side note, that's that's kind of where a lot of the different denominations come from. It's if there's two things that sort of make Christian denominations slightly different from one another, it would be one of two things, either tradition, just how history itself has sort of played out in mm-hmm. how different groups of people have done things, as well as biblical interpretation. Um, things that are not really black and white issues of like, if you don't believe this the way that it says in Scripture, then you're not a Christian. Like, those are black and white issues. But there's some things in Scripture that are a little bit more ambiguous, things that we don't really understand, things that had a lot of historical context to them that we as 21st century American readers don't understand the way that a 1st century uh, Middle Eastern person would understand it. Mm -hmm. So there's... There's some differences in interpretation, and in some of those things, those will make up for different denominations. But like I said, those are they're all issues that are, for the most part, pretty tertiary. Like, by virtue of saying that you're a Christian, you, you hold to the belief that everybody is a sinner, everybody is in need of God's forgiveness of sins, and that there's nothing that you personally can do about it to be forgiven, except cry out and say, God, I need you. Please forgive me. Um, so that being said, I've, I've jumped, into a, jumped to a number of different denominations throughout my life, and really the only rubric I look at when deciding what church to go to is like one of two things. It's, is it somewhere that is preaching God's word in truth, or are they using the words of it to distort the truth and teach something that they would rather teach? Are they misinterpreting something, mm-hmm. pulling things out of context? Or and how how would you know that? Like, what is your that? If that's your rubric. 
um, if they are um, actually like truly conveying a message versus like uh, using utilizing it as like sort of cover or a flag. Like how how do you make that discernment? Well, it's it's kind of like if you took a scientific paper and tried to make it say something that it was never really meant to say. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we can, we can look at the methods and the way that a, that a scientific paper was set up and, you know, figure out what the, what the ramifications are for this patient that is sitting right in front of me. Does this paper apply to that person? Mm-hmm. And you can certainly imagine a less than ideal clinician pulling a paper that is drawing other conclusions about a patient population that does not include this person that is in your exam room mm-hmm. and then saying, but, Oh, I'm going to cite this paper and say that it says this, therefore patient a should do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, another clinician might say, um, no, that paper didn't even really say that. I mean, one, it doesn't agree with anything else that's in scientific literature. It's contradicting it. Um, two, just by reading the paper itself, it's simply not about the person that's in front of me. So similar, similar analogies to what you would find in Scripture is, you know, we would look at the context of that passage, of whatever point is trying to be made, mm-hmm. whatever this preacher is trying to use the verse, this passage, whatever, for, mm-hmm. and you see, is this, is this what the author of this book of the Bible was actually trying to say? So we were talking about Romans before. It was written by Paul to the church that was in Rome within the first century. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's really difficult as a 21st century American to be reading that and not sort of put your own biases, put your own influences on it. And we can, we can sort of, you know, take the words out of context and make it say things that we don't want it to say. Mm-hmm. And I've been to churches where, you know, they'll, they'll be preaching about something and your ears sort of perk up and you say that, that doesn't quite sound like what the rest of the Bible would be teaching. Like I remember at one point hearing a, hearing a sermon of somebody trying to use scriptural references to show that one must work, do good works to make it into heaven. And that sort of rubs you the wrong way and says, wait a minute, if this was all about grace, if this was everything that God was doing, not about what I was doing, then something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. So if in that instance, that was a church, that was a group that I didn't necessarily want to be a part of mm-hmm. because I felt that they were not interpreting scripture in the way that scripture was meant to be interpreted. So that's, that's kind of how I go about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to the original question, um, two criteria for looking for a church. One of them is, you know, integrity with preaching about what's in scripture. The other is, is this, assuming that that first point is met, is this a place that my gifts, my abilities can be used to serve the other people that are at this church? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a musician. I love music. I love playing music. And it's, it's an area that I can use to serve the body of believers with the worship team, people that play music with the congregation, the people in the church singing along with it to praise God. So it's, it's a skill set that, you know, sometimes I'll be looking for ways that I can, I can help out the people that are there because it's sort of like there's this Scott-shaped hole in this church. <laughs> and I'd say, ooh, I can do this. I can, mm-hmm. I can help the other people that are here with the abilities that I have. If it was something like, we need childcare, we need people to teach our kids and do things, take care of them during the Sunday services, I'd say, that's really not my skill set. I'm not so great with kids. Mm-hmm. So, like Being useful is right. important to you. And if, if they'd say like, oh, we don't really need any other musicians for us, then, you know, it's not a reason not to go to that church, but maybe I might start looking around and see if there's another church that all things being equal, if I can do something to help out the people that are there, then that would be a better fit for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, those are kind of the same rubric, that's sort of the same rubric that I used when I moved up to Pennsylvania, is that I was looking for a church that was teaching God's word. And 
I found a couple that were along those lines. Um, I knew a few people in the area, so I was able to check out churches that they knew were biblically pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was just a question of, okay, well, what what body of believers am I best going to be able to serve? And I ended up going to a church in Cooperstown, Coopersburg. Coopersburg. Coopersburg, my home, yes. my town now. Just, yeah. uh, just a stone's throw from your place. Mm-hmm. So, and that one's actually a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gone to a Presbyterian church previously, back when I lived in the city, maybe about four years ago. Uh, that, that church had a very different feel to it, um, just in the way that they ordered the service. But, I mean, I've been to, throughout my life, I've regularly attended Baptist churches, a few different Baptist churches, and Assemblies of God Church. That was interesting. They're very charismatic, very uh, hands in the air, and mm-hmm. looks like a party. But uh, they were they were a good church. A um, couple non-denominational churches, and you know, like I said, the only criteria that I don't really put too much too much weight on the denomination itself because I've seen both good churches and not so good churches of all denominations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's more about what is that individual church teaching and preaching? What do they hold to be true? And is it somewhere that I can use my abilities to get plugged in? And that, and that, uh, that feeling of like, also like you, you, uh, you go to that community and you are able to, uh, receive things and to give things. Like, it's nice to have like a, a transference of, of skills and and everything, just not just being like, I'm an observer essentially. Right. Yeah. And even, even to an outside person that thinks this whole religion thing is bunk and we're all just sort of drinking the Kool-Aid and doing something crazy, at least you can appreciate having a group of people together that are, you know, empowering each other and whether it's through encouragement or just openly talking about the the tough things that are going on in life. I mean, it doesn't take a religious person to realize how useful that is to anybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something that we've we've lost as like a an overall society and culture. It's just mm-hmm. like those places to like really dig at things, right? And so you are a sinner uh, sa- that was saved by the grace of God. Is that the wording that you yeah. use? Yeah. The only thing I would change to that is saved by the grace of God alone, and that just sort of gets at the idea of there's nothing that I can do. It's all about what God has done mm-hmm. that saves me. It's going back to the analogy of being in a hundred foot deep glass pit of there's nothing I can do to get myself out. Mm-hmm. I can try to climb. There might be other people in the pit with me and some of them might be able to jump a little bit higher than others. The analogy being some people are more righteous, less lawbreakers than others, but we've all broken the law at least at one point. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of like a chain. It, if you even break one chain link, the chain's kind of useless. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't matter if it's broken in one place or many. It's an equally useless chain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about God's grace alone because it is only by his perfect sacrifice of Jesus living a perfect life and then paying for my sins by dying on the cross and then coming back from the dead that has paid the debt of my sin. And what else are you? Um... I mean, that's, that's kind of the big one, and everything else is secondary to that. I mean, I mean I'd say I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, that's, that's just kind of because I don't really like the term Christian. It has so many biases uh, on that to the general population. Mm-hmm. You kind of think of this, like, white supremacist person that hates any non-white person and claims to be a Christian mm-hmm. and like all, all these other stereotypes that people have, or as somebody who's a generally well, well, like well to do person means well, but is a bit delusional. Like there's so many, so many biases in there amongst what is a Christian that I think that the easiest way for me to describe it is I'm a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. If Jesus taught it, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Which, and, and that's a that's a, a self description that I've heard uh, from various uh, 
other interviewees. Yeah. Like that's, they, they try, I mean, try to have avoid. like Jarrell and AJ and uh, yeah. Meg and a few other people on here that have used the same description. I'm sure. Yeah, like really tried to shy away from that term because it is unfortunate. The, 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 the connotations that are associated with the term Christian, um, and so kind of like side skirting that a little bit by basically by like getting to the sources like, no, I'm follow, I follow Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. And I mean, a really good, really good, um, rationale for that is, I mean, the way I like to describe it is there was this guy, Jesus that lived a couple thousand years ago and you don't need the Bible to necessarily believe that there's even the most staunch atheist historians of that time would say, yeah, the historical evidence would say that Jesus was an actual person. Mm-hmm. probably was real probably really cool dude like at the very least you can say like he probably existed and he was probably very charismatic and influential yeah. at the very least he was he was somebody that made some headlines in his day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i mean some of the headlines were really good things i mean there were things like love your neighbor do unto others as you would have them do unto you and all these other things that are, make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside of like yeah let's be a really nice community let's all be good to each other but he also made some really radical claims and the most you know eyebrow raising one of them is saying that he is the son of god mm. and it's kind of like would would a good person really say that say something that would be well it it's kind of like he's he's making these claims that he is the son of god mm-hmm. and there's there's kind of a few different ways that you can interpret that. He could either, if he wasn't the son of God and he knew he wasn't the son of God, then he'd be lying. He'd be, he would be actively trying to deceive people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It would be like if I claim to be the president, but I'm not the, really the president. But let's suppose the people that I was with might have actually believed it. There's some extortion going on there. So that's one possibility. Or he may not have been God, and he may have actually believed that he was God. And that's kind of the definition of a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Somebody that you would see in the inpatient psychiatric world thinking a that he is delusion. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> He's delusional. Or there's the remote possibility that he is the son of God, and he, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. And that makes him God. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there's a... And a C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity really sums it up well. Um, C.S. Lewis is a really great author. He was, you know, around 1940s, 50s-ish. Most well-known for the, uh, uh, like, uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe yes. series. Uh, Narnia the Chronicles books. of Narnia. And mm-hmm. also a really good friend of uh, Tolkien, oh, yeah, Lord I of the Rings. That, yeah. So, you know, they, they're kind of all along the same authors. But he describes that same, same point this way. This is in Mere Christianity, one of my favorite books by him. Um, In describing Jesus, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing that we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Mm-hmm. You must not make your choice. Uh, wait, yeah, you must, uh, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for being a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I, I think that's just, an, it's a really powerful way of summing up the commonly held notion that Jesus was a great moral teacher, said a lot of really great things, but he wasn't God. And it's kind of like, well, no, he was either God or crazy or evil. Just looking at what his claims were, there's really no other way around that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, uh, like, how do you get, how do you, how does somebody get, to the title of grandmaster and it's like 
they somebody else calls them grandmaster and it mm-hmm. sticks. And it's like you don't really like unless you are like undisputedly a grandmaster, you don't get to call yourself a grandmaster. Otherwise, you're just an asshole. <laughs> like you, like you have to like you. Some other people have to be like, yeah, this dude's a grandmaster. It's like let's mm-hmm. let's let's be real here. Or you you are so undeniably like the the founder of of something like that that you get to call yourself a grandmaster. Yeah, along those lines, at least. Uh, so, uh, how do you finish the next prompt? Uh, before I die, I want. Um, before I die, I, I really want to see other people come to know the same truth that is in the true identity of Jesus, in that He is the Son of God, and that He came here to pay the price for the sins that we all have. Um, because it just as like, um, let's see, what am I trying to say here? Um, there are going to be those who don't believe that Jesus is who he says he was or says, look, I appreciate it. You're, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me, what you're trying to teach me here, but it's, it's not for me. I want to live my life in other ways. And I mean, the, the outcome for that is it's not good. I mean, it's kind of like using the analogy of if salvation is a gift, it's something that God has done and is saying, here, this is yours if you want it. And then willfully saying, no thanks, I'll try to make it on my own. And the result of that is we pay the punishment for our sins, which is eternal death and separation from God. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like a really harsh thing, but it's, it's kind of like if, if it weren't the case, if God were just sort of like, oh, well, I can let that slide, it would be, <clears throat> excuse me, it would be contradictory to what his nature is to being a perfect and holy God. It mm-hmm. would compromise that. I mean, it's sort of like if you were, if you set a law, but then subjective, or better example, let's say you designed a program, designed like a video game or something, but then created a character in that game and then decided to not play by the rules of that game. Mm-hmm. And so, like, well, why'd you even make the rule in the first place? <laughs> you're you're sort of compromising your role as the creator and maker of that system, mm-hmm. and it's not a perfect analogy, but it it gets the point it across. gets it gets the point across for God's holiness, mm-hmm. and to say that, um, like, it can it, it can be very easy to say that that's unfair that God would do that, but. To be honest, the fair thing would be that we are sinners and we're guilty of the <clears throat> guilty of the ramifications of that, mm-hmm. which is separation from God. So, it is purely but, by grace that even any of us are exempt, forgiven, put on a different track than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, why? So then. Like all of that said, mm-hmm. uh, why is it important for you to uh, that other people? Um, share in that faith. Well, because if they don't, then that terrible outcome is what's going to happen. So before I die, I want to be able to share this good news that there's a way out of this, mm-hmm. that there's something that we can, we can do, which is ironic. It's the very act of doing nothing of saying, I can't save myself from this and turning to God and saying, God save me mm-hmm. that, you are that you're saying that I need to be forgiven of this. I want to be in God's presence when this this life is over. So, I mean that that gift is open to anybody. Anybody can take take a hold of that. Mm-hmm. And I want before I die, I want to share that with everybody. Mm-hmm. To use another analogy, it's sort of like imagine there was a disease that had a 100 percent incidence and a 100 percent mortality, but you had a vaccine that would cure it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't give it before a certain time, then that person's fate is set. Wouldn't you do everything you could to tell people about this and say, hey, there's a cure for this. Mm-hmm. Take it. It's available to you. Well, then here, here's my question. is uh, Initially, you said more, and then on the second time around, you were talking about everybody. What, which, which is that... Are you leaning more towards the more, which is like, what, like if you have one more person, 
uh, like joining the Christian faith as as sinners saved by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. That that's pretty attainable. But if you're talking about everybody, that is, I think, a much more lofty and for sure and difficult goal to ever see happen. Mm-hmm. Um, which which one are you leaning towards? I mean, it's it's sort of like the difference between what is attainable and what can we strive to attain. Mm-hmm the difference between ideal versus practical. Mm-hmm. I mean, you we can try to share this message with everybody that we know. Like, if I meet somebody, like, hey, have you heard this really great news? Mm-hmm. But there's going to be people that say, that's nice, Scott, but I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But So you're, you may not necessarily be able to reach everybody with that, but you can at least do your part to make that available to them, to let them know that this is something that exists that they can look into, something that they can wrestle among amongst their own rationale, their understanding of how the world works, and look and see if these claims are true. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, So I guess to answer your of... question, it's sort of like we are striving for everybody, mm-hmm. but we know not everybody is going to take a hold of it. But we're sure going to show it. We're go- we're sure going to expose as many people as we can to it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, short of uh, actively stabbing everybody with a vaccine, you're going to make it available at least. Like put it on the table and be like, you know, it's right there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just do it. But it's right. all up to you. Yeah, I mean, and you you can't exactly vaccinate somebody against their will. I mean, you you can. It has been done. It's just not a great. Uh, it's not. It's not great. Right. It's it's not medically indicated or uh, you know desired. Mm-hmm. But from and, and from a Christian sense, it's that's that's sort of like where you get the turn and burn kind of people that are like picketing with signs of like you must be saved or else blah 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 blah, and it's like it. Yeah, you're reaching a wide number of people because anybody that sees or hears you is getting the message, but is it really doing much to convince people of their need of a savior and more specifically, why would Jesus be the one to save them? Mm-hmm. It's not really you're not really fulfilling that that goal. It's not the best marketing. Mm-mm. What else do you want before you die? That's that's really about it. I mean, if I would love to see all the people that I've met come join me in this because you know, I really love the people that I've met. I love my classmates, I love my friends, my family, and I would love to spend eternity with them because that'd be awesome. I mean, this in comparison, this life is pretty short. And if the real things that matter are what happens after we all die, then, you know, we, I want to make sure that the in this life we make the choices, make the decision of, okay, this is where I'm going to pl- put my faith. This is where I'm going to put my trust because that is the one thing that's going to determine are you going to be living in the presence of God for the rest of eternity or are you going to be separated from him in this place that we call hell? So let's talk about when you die. Okay. How do you finish that prompt? When I die, I want. Um, I would, I'd quote Matthew 25, which is a parable that Jesus taught. And I'd say, when I die, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So the, the parable or the parable that Jesus was telling, um, he would tell a lot of parables to express some of the teachings or ideas that he wanted to express that people wouldn't have necessarily understood if he just sort of explained it out forthright. So he would use sort of like an analogy to mm-hmm. explain it. And oh, which parable was this anyway? Um, oh, right. So the, the way the story goes is there's this master that has three servants, or you could think of it as like a boss and three employees. And this boss has let's say, $1 million. And he says, I'm going to be going away to do some work in a foreign country, and I need you three employees to cover, I need you to use this money to invest it, to make the best of it. So 
I mean, the math isn't going to come out quite right, but it's like, I'm going to give you person number one, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars or I'm going to give you 10,000 or yeah, I'm going to give you $1 million, give person number two, 500,000 person number three, I'm going to give you 100,000. The, the way the text itself goes, it's 10 talents, five talents, one talent, a mm-hmm. talent being a unit of currency at the time, mm-hmm. a pretty sizable amount too. I think it was, it was equal to, I, I think it was like the majority of a person's wages for the year. Mm-hmm. So no small chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And the master is saying, use it, do business until I return. I'm going to hold you accountable for it. So the master goes away. He comes back after a time and he calls his three servants back in and says, what did you, how did you do? How did you use the, the talents that I gave you? And the one who was given 10, 10 talents, or in our case, $1 million, he says, I, you gave me $1 million. I was able to, in business, make $1 million more. So here's $2 million back. And he says, well done, servant. You've done great work. Be in charge of these 10 cities or whatever that I'm now in control of. Mm-hmm. Like these, given more responsibility. He point, goes to the next person who was given 500000 He says, how did you do? And he says, I was able to take your 500000 and make an additional 500000 So here's $1 million back. And he says, well done. You're going to be in control of five cities or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And the third person, he says, how did you do? And he, the servant says to him, I know that you're a shrewd business person. You're collecting things with which you did not invest. You're, you're very frugal with your funds, and I didn't want to lose it. So I buried it in the ground for safekeeping here. Here's your $100,000 back. And conversely, he says, you're a wicked servant. Your own words condemn you. You knew that I collected that which I didn't sow. You know that I'm a shrewd business person. Why didn't you at least put it in a bank somewhere so that I could collect interest? And he takes away the $100,000 and gives it to the one that was given $1 million, and that servant was cast out. So the way that analogy plays over into what I want when I die is the talent or the gift that I've been given is an understanding of what must a person do to be saved. The message of a person needs to be forgiven of their sins, call out to God because they are a sinner and in need of forgiveness. And if I just hold that on to myself, if I just kind of bury that in the ground for safekeeping, saying, okay, I've got the message, I understand it, I'm just going to live my life and be at peace with everybody else and not share this, then I'm like that third guy. Mm -hmm. Whereas I could be like the first guy and say, look, I'm going to use this gift as much as I can. I'm going to share this. I'm going to hopefully, you know, convince other people that, yeah, this is the truth and have more, have more people join. And in the end, hear God say to me, well done. You've used the talents that I gave you. You've used the resources that I gave you to accomplish this goal of preaching the good news. So when I die, hopefully that's, that's the end goal, that I've convinced at least a few other people that this is true. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, share it with everybody that I know. Uh, have you thought about the moment of your passing? About the moment of my passing, to some degree, I have. I mean, how this. I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about like the circumstances of how I want it to happen, who I want there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, and and also like your state of mind, like what uh, what would you be doing emotionally, and and like uh, and what would you what would you be feeling as it happened. Hmm. I mean, I've thought about it, but I'm honestly not too concerned about how it happens or the circumstances, my state of mind. I mean, it's, it's going to happen how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when God decides that my time here is up, I go home. I go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the circumstances are sort of 
you know, negligible in the grand scheme of things because I'm spending the rest the I'm spending eternity in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. So whether it's whether it's something short and abrupt and unexpected, or whether it's something that I'm seeing coming from a mile away in my ripe old age, whether there's people around me or if I'm alone, I mean, the end result is the same. Uh, have you been in the presence of a passing? Um, I don't think I have. I've certainly been to funerals and I've seen people after they've passed. Mm-hmm. And through medical school things, seen people that have passed that I didn't know, mm-hmm. but I've not been there in the moment that somebody has passed. Uh, and cause that's, that's a weird thing. Like I, I've been thinking about this a lot for myself personally, mm-hmm. is that I'm, I'm your same age, uh, 28. And this was the year that I, um, actually saw something pass, uh, in front of me. Like, yeah. And, and the, it was a, it's just a very different, it's just a different thing once you like see it. And also as a secondarily, uh, if you are, um, if you are the one that causes the passing, like if right. it's an animal or if it's a person, like just, just being there and, and being a part of it is a very, it's a weird thing. And, yeah. and most, uh, like if you're even, if you're talking about like even like 200, 300 years ago, everybody probably well before puberty would have experienced something like that. And like, sure it's one thing to be talking about passage in, in the abstract and it's another thing to physically be there mm-hmm. and to, to be, uh, uh, to feel like what, 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 like, what is the room like? Like when, whenever, yeah. when that, when that light goes out and it's a very, uh, it's a very, um, it's a very different thing. And, um, has there been a passage that has affected you greatly? Like a passage of somebody's life? Yes. Um, I mean, I've had, I've had extended family members that have passed mm-hmm. um, and the occasional friend or somebody I knew of roughly my own age, somebody who passed prematurely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as, as you say that, I can't really think of anybody that I would say like, oh, this really emotionally affected me. I mean, three of my four grandparents have passed. Mm-hmm. They're no longer alive here on this earth. But... um and each of those affected me in different ways, depending on my age. I mean, two of them passed when I was fairly young, somewhere in the like five to nine ish mm, age. Mm-hmm. So it was really not it. You, you didn't really comprehend the full grasp of what death really is. Mm-hmm. And then the third grandparent passed within the last five years or so, mm-hmm. and that was a very different story because I was old enough to sort of see the ramifications of it and see it coming from a mile away. It was not, it was not an abrupt passing. Mm -hmm. It was something that, you know, we had been anticipating for, you know, at least a good three to five years. The exact moment of it happening was unexpected, but I mean, that's, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's, how did that, how did that more recent one affect you differently? I mean, there was there were some emotions to it. I mean, at first, when I first heard the news that that grandparent had passed, you know, it was something that I didn't, it didn't really hit me at first. It was just kind of like, oh, it, it finally happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, knowing that this person's health was declining for so long and then, okay, that, that, that one event happened now. Mm-hmm. It's like this, my grandmother is no longer alive. Okay. And I mean, it was sad, but it, I really didn't think much else of it just because the, the day-to-day routines of my life didn't really change. Mm-hmm. But, it's not like she was living in the house with Right, me. right. But, you know, going through the, the process of taking the day off from work to travel up to the town that she lived in, mm-hmm. seeing extended family members also come into town, go through the wedding, the memorial service. I mean, it was, it was sad. And it mm-hmm. was a chance to process all of those emotions that you sort of put off. But, you know, it, the, thing about, the thing about a funeral from a Protestant Christian perspective is that if this person was forgiven, if this person was a believer in the gospel, the good news, mm-hmm. then, you know, we, the Bible describes it as we don't grieve as other people grieve mm-hmm. because... It's, 
it's this idea that we know we're going to see them again. I mean, this life is pretty long given our perspective now, but with the perspective of you're going to be living for eternity, this life is a very short and momentary thing. Mm -hmm. And a brief separation for, you know, part of that time, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if you moved, it's kind of like when you moved away from your friends and family to live in Florida for a couple of years and you said, I'll be back in a couple of years. I'll be back in the Northeast. I'll be here to visit you. It's sort of like, you don't, you don't, you're not going to be like, Oh my goodness, this person has moved away forever. He's never coming back. Mm -hmm. It's okay. See you later. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and that's, uh, I, I wonder, was that, um, what was the, was, cause as, as the grandson, um, your grief is going to be very different from your parents who, mm -hmm. who like knew them as their parents and like have yeah. probably have seen the whole spectrum of their health decline. Was it different for them? Um, it may have been a little bit more intense just because they were closer to it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think the path, the pathway and how it all played out was very similar how it was for me as it was for my, my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I mean, they, like I said, they're also Christians. They understand at least mentally that this is what happened. Now, in terms of emotions and feelings, there's a lot of grief to be had mm -hmm. because, you know, my from my parents' perspective, my mom has finally passed away, and this is the person that raised me and that I've known for my entire life. Mm -hmm. And for that side of the family, it's like there's that generation has now passed. There mm -hmm. are no grandparents left. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the grief is more intense, and since I'm not in that position, I can't really judge the inner workings of thoughts and everything about it, but I think the end result was still the same of they, they would understand that this is a brief and momentary thing that mm -hmm. we're separated from that person, and the, the excitement of this person is now in the presence of God and is no longer in this broken, sin-filled world that they're finally they're finally home. Mm -hmm. It's like you've made it through you've made it through all the rough parts, and now <laughs> it's now it's clear sailing from here. Mm -hmm. And so let's start talking about that after. Uh, how do you finish that prompt when I or after I die? I want. Um, I think I'd say I don't. It's more of what I don't want, and it's. It's kind of like, I don't want people to feel bad for me or to miss me because like I said before, I'm, I'm home. Mm -hmm. This world isn't my home. This is, this is a broken place. This is a place that is filled with sin. We all have this problem that we call sin and you know, it's, I'm finally in a place that I'm free of that. I mean, as, as human beings, we are, we were made to be perfect. It was our original sin that brought us to a place that has contaminated this world with sin to be forgiven of that sin and to no longer be on this earth. That is to be free of it. And, you know, it's, I mean, I want, I want people that are here to grieve for me, do whatever they need to do to emotionally process, but you know, don't, don't feel bad for me because I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I'm in a better place. <laughs> I'm happy about it. Uh, are you, um, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Um, are you, is that sort of irrelevant for you because of your faith? Hmm. That's an, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I don't know. It kind of depends on the day. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic that, that people will come to know Jesus as their savior. Um, because the other, the other thing that's sort of happening in the background here, if we're looking at this sort of like whole world history perspective of God's plan for redemption is the fact that we're, we're still here and God has not returned means that there are still some out there who do not yet know him, but God knows this person will come to me seeking forgiveness. I mean, that's, 
And that's something that we can look at in Scripture of what's, what's the next step? What are we looking for? Mm-hmm. And there will come a time that God will say, time's up. The world stops existing, and we every single person that has ever lived will be judged in one way or another. You will either be punished for your sins, or you'll be, if you're thinking of court, kind of like a courtroom setting, you will either be found guilty mm-hmm. and serve out that punishment, which is separation from God, or you'll be acquitted, saying that you're guilty, but somebody else has paid the price, namely Jesus, when he died on the cross. You are now spending the rest of eternity in the presence of God, free from your sin. The punishment's been paid. So it's kind of like, on that, on that scheme of things, I'm, I'm optimistic because it means that if I died and that hasn't happened yet, then there's still more people that are going to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, in other ways, I'm a little bit pessimistic, though, because, I mean, we can see all the injustices and all the sinful things that are still happening in the world. There's still a lot of hatred. There's lying. There's deception, stealing. There's dishonoring God for who he is as a holy person, rejecting who he is and what he's done for us. And in some ways that grieves me. But, you know, if there's still somebody else out there who doesn't know, doesn't know what God has done and will believe in it someday, then that's a reason to be optimistic. And so we've been talking for what, like an hour and a half, something like that. Yeah, probably about that. 80 minutes. And uh, we've covered a lot of ground, man. We've, uh, you've, you, I, I'm, uh, very, I've, I'm very impressed by your um, understanding of the Christian faith. It is, uh, it is um, well, uh, well reasoned, and I can tell that you've thought a lot about it. Yeah. And uh, it's not like you've come to this conclusion without reason or without without and actually processing and logic. We've only even scratched the surface of sort of the rationale behind that because kind of like as I described before, like I've used a lot of biblical examples here, but if you don't hold to the view that the Bible is true, then a lot of that is a moot point. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's an entire other discussion of what is the logical, what is the rational reason that I believe that this is true? And why not, why not what the Muslim faith says or Buddhism or being an agnostic or an atheist, Mm -hmm. sort of a natural humanistic side of things like why do why are none of these other world systems something that i can't wrap my brain around like why is why are not any of these other world views more rational more in line with the observations i've made than what the christian faith is mm-hmm. so that's that could just be an entire other discussion <laughs> and probably not quite as relevant as what i want before at the present and after i die but tangentially related Mm-hmm. I'll talk for another day, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm currently working out in my brain of how would I do uh, update episodes, like uh, like uh, maybe five or ten years down the line. Like, hmm. uh, what would that look like? Because I've been doing it for about two years now. So, yeah. so we'll see. We we got time. Lot, we'll let it soak. Yeah. Um, and I want to give you the last uh, few minutes, the last few moments, to address the audience directly. Um, for whoever that audience is, whether it's uh, one person who is challenged in their faith and they uh, find resolve in what you say, or somebody who is uh, uh, profoundly moved by your, um, your, your discussion of faith, um, or just somebody who's like, oh, this guy's pretty cool. Let me listen to this. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll give you, the floor is yours. All right. Well, I hope my ramblings made sense to somebody. <laughs> um, sometimes I felt like I was a little bit scatterbrained and trying to piece together things that made sense in my mind, but as the words came out, they weren't, maybe didn't make quite as much sense, but hopefully this made sense to somebody. Um, if I could give one piece of advice from my humble opinion, just one screwed up sinner to another, um, it's to seek the truth. I mean, going back to another Bible verse, this is in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, you know, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Um, God, God definitely. If if God exists, then He will see that you are seeking the truth, 
and we'll we'll present that truth to you if you're seeking it. So, you know, if if you're the kind of person that you say like I I want to know what what are we doing here? What is the purpose for my existence? Um even if you think you've explored Christianity and don't really think that's the answer, maybe just go to scripture and see what does Jesus actually say. Start in one of the gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke or John and read through it, see what Jesus was teaching. See if it makes sense to you. Um, there's a number of other really good authors out there like Tim Keller and John Piper who, of course, their works are not Scripture. Nothing would be as, you know, um, truthful and correct as what Scripture would say. They're going to be wrong in some cases, but I think a lot of the wisdom that they have is really spot on as far as what what does the Bible say, why why should I take the time to explore this as true? And what does it mean for, what, what does it mean for me personally, what this guy a couple thousand years ago said? Why should it make any difference? So yeah, if, if you're exploring, seek the truth. And a, a worldview that does not, a worldview that has to hide from some aspect of argument is not something worth pursuing. So if you're if you're meeting people that are saying like oh don't don't even ask those questions don't think of it in this way then you know it it may be that they don't have a great explanation for something and there'll be moments in that in Christianity I'll say like look I don't have a great answer for you but you know I'm struggling with the same the same kinds of questions but I'm going to keep seeking I'm going to see if I can make sense of it myself and you know hopefully if if all of if if after looking into all of that you think that christianity is something that that correctly describes the way things really are then you know talk to somebody about it put your faith in that and figure out what those ramifications are for you as an individual cuz you never know where you'll end up yep so uh scott uh, thank you so much for this lovely conversation on 